right, well, it's, it's just a joy uh, to be with you all this morning and to continue the series that we've been in um, called Extraordinary Prayer. And specifically this week, we are going to um, go part two with Pray Then Like This that Chad started and did a wonderful job with last Sunday. So I'm going to kind of pick up in some ways where he left off. And I have to say for myself that prayer is one of the most important yet often neglected aspects of the Christian life. And so any opportunity we have to teach on it is of great importance. My contention is that we all know that we need to pray. We all know that prayer can change us and change the world around us. But we also all have some insecurities or fears that we bring that prevent us sometimes from truly making the time and space for prayer to be an integral part of our lives. So let me give you an example of this. When I was finishing up seminary, I was doing a pastoral internship in Arizona. And during that time, I became very convicted personally about prayer. And it wasn't just prayer in my own life, but it was prayer in the context of Christian community, prayers together. And so I, in that moment or in that time, I quickly began to look at the church that I was serving at around me, and I started to wonder whether or not the prayer life of this community actually matched what I saw with the New Testament church in the book of Acts and the way they prayed, the fervent prayers they prayed, and not just the book of Acts, but things that we see in Paul's letters or other places in the New Testament, and then things that I read through church history and beyond. Does the church or did the church I was at, did its prayer life match those things? Well, as you might imagine, it did not. It came up, it came up short of that. And part of that may have been my own, like, high expectations. But I realized in that time that I had a clear goal. And that goal was to increase prayer in the life of the church. And so what I did was, I was like, well, I don't know how else to do this. So I guess I'll just form a prayer group. Let's just start there. I'll, I'll form a prayer group. So we announced it, we scheduled it, and we did it. And we had a few people show up. And that's fine. I know when two or three are gathered, in his name he is there. But I was wanting a culture shift. I was wanting a culture shift in our community of 300 people. I was wanting to see more and more people be connected to the life of prayer, and especially the life of prayer together in our community. So in my slight frustration of more people not showing up, I felt the Lord speak to me and tell me, if you want them to pray, you're going to have to teach them how. And that was weird to me because it seemed, one, it seemed so simple. But two, I thought, man, a lot of these people in the church, they're way more like experienced in life than I am. 
They're, they're much older in age. They've been in church their whole life. Like, that doesn't seem to compute. But that is what I felt the Lord speaking to me. And so he gave me an idea. And the idea was, what if we hold a 24-hour prayer vigil for the community? We invite people to come pray in person through an hour of guided prayer stations that teach them how to pray. And that's what we did. And we used the Lord's Prayer as our template. And it became our moment as the church of saying, like Jesus said in Matthew 6, pray then like this. So today, we're going to go on that same journey with the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to jump back into what Jesus teaches specifically on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to read verses 9 through 13. So I think it's up on the screen. I think that's the NIV. I'm going to be reading out of the New American, but um, I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that as we jump into your word, into your study, Lord, we pray that you speak to us very clearly. Lord, that your spirit just be moving in this space, touching, convicting, moving in each and every one of our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously, this is what we call or commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And so before we get into some of the specifics of the Lord's Prayer, I want to kind of take a step back and look more broadly at the Lord's Prayer. And so to start, let's just say that this prayer goes by a few different names. For one, the Lord's Prayer. Another, the Our Father, which I think is primarily in the um, Catholic tradition. This prayer is recited together in many churches and traditions every Sunday and something that many individual Christians, they pray every day. The interesting thing about the name, though, is that it really isn't one of Jesus's specific prayers, but Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray, which leads some scholars to refer to it as the disciples prayer, because this is Jesus teaching His disciples how to pray. Yet, there is one really important broader issue or broader question about the Lord's Prayer that I never really took the time to think about until recently. And it revolves around the question, did Jesus create this prayer out of nothing, out of scratch, from scratch? 
I wondered if I asked you that, how you would respond. Did Jesus, is this just extemporaneous, here's how you should pray? I know for most of my life, I believe that, I, didn't, I, don't, I guess I didn't really think about it, but I just assumed that this was kind of more of an extemporaneous thing from Jesus that he's just like, oh, just pray like this, you know? Sorry, this thing is... I must have weird-shaped ears or something. I never can get it to stay. Um, but to answer the question of did Jesus create this prayer, prayer from nothing... The answer is both yes and no. So yes, Jesus put it together this way, but no, the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' adaptation of a common Jewish prayer known as the Amidah. Okay? The Amidah. The Amidah in Hebrew simply means standing or standing prayer. Referring to the posture one would have while they prayed this prayer. And it was usually prayed about three times daily by um, Jews of the first century and other times and even still to this day. The Amidah by Jewish tradition predates Jesus by about 500 to 600 years. And so we know that it was widely used in Jesus' day. Most Amidahs you see today, are much longer than the Lord's Prayer because they are made up of about 18 to 19 sections. From 500 BCE to the first part of the first century CE, the Amidah was not officially codified and standardized. That wouldn't happen until after the temple was destroyed in 70 CE. So, in other words, during Jesus' time, the Amidah would have been a huge part of Jewish devotional life, but its basic form would not have been fully constructed and practiced. Does that make sense? So, it was used, but it wasn't like a standardized thing that everybody repeated in the same way. So, what does this mean for Jesus? Well, scholarship suggests that Jesus took a common prayer, the Amidah, that his disciples would have been familiar with and encouraged them to pray the elements that he felt were important in living the kingdom life. So, what are those elements and how can we learn from them? Let's look at, let's start and look at verse 9. So verse 9, we see Jesus say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So one of the aspects I see and elements we see in this part, the first verse of this prayer, is what I would like to call a prayer of um, acknowledgement or a prayer of adoration. Okay, so Jesus makes three affirmations within this one verse. One, our Father. Okay, so there's an affirmation of God as the Father. Okay, and giving that title is personal, right? It's intimate. It's relational. 
But it also, if we're honest, right, it has a little bit of authority attached to it. Because when we recognize someone as a father, we're saying they're in a slightly different position than we are. So he starts off by saying father. So he's acknowledging something about who he is and his character. Then he says that is like who is in heaven. Okay, so that's also acknowledging something about who Jesus or who God is. He is in heaven. He is above. He is beyond us. Right. It's acknowledging something powerful about his very nature. He's above and beyond. And then it says, hallowed be your name or holy is your name. So he's holy. It's affirming him as being holy. It's adoring him for being holy, which means he is other. He is different. He's as different from us as we are from a grasshopper, right? He is just other than we are. Holy is your name. You, your name is to be hallowed. So within the prayer life, within the life of this prayer that Jesus modeled, he starts off by acknowledging and by giving adoration to God the Father. All right, let's look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I like to say like at least the first part of this, there's also a little bit at least of recognition and acknowledgement as we start that God has a kingdom, so he's a king, right? Your kingdom, so God is king, your kingdom come. But what I also see within this verse, this verse 10, is a prayer of surrender, Because it's your kingdom come, your will. So if you're saying your will, then you're saying not my will, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some of you might have heard this expression, but it's also what we call a prayer of indifference. It's learning ourselves as we surrender. We're also learning to be indifferent. So whatever the Lord has, we're okay with it. Even if it goes against what we want, we're indifferent to whatever God's plan, God's will, whatever he's going to lead us to on that day. However, his kingdom is breaking into earth as it is in heaven. We are okay. We are good with that. In verse 11. Oh, but let me say this. Let me say one more thing. But it's also more broadly. Verse 10 is also a petition. It's a big petition. Lord, please help your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. It'd be like us praying, Lord, help your kingdom to come in Evansville as it is in heaven. On my street, in my neighborhood, on my college campus, as it is in heaven. We're we're petitioning the Lord for a big request. Because then in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, we go to another petition. It's petitioning the Lord for something a little bit smaller scale, a little more specific, related to our everyday in and out life. Lord, make sure that I have the things that I need. Make sure I have the bread 
each and every morning, which that would draw Jesus' disciples and others back to the Israelites in the desert and getting the manna every day. The Father provided manna from heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, be the provider of the things that I need to survive and to live this life that you have called me to live. It is okay to ask for these small things that some of us, we think, oh, that's too insignificant to ask for. Don't, don't ever feel that way. Don't ever feel like you can't pray for the small things. Lord, get, put bread on my table tonight. Don't ever feel like you can't do that because you can. That's what Jesus says right here. Let your Have petitions to the Lord. And they can be big and they can be small. Lord, I really don't want to. I'm not feeling well, but I have to go here. Lord, that parking space in the very front would be really nice, right? Any of you ever prayed a parking spot prayer? Anybody? You don't have to feel. You don't have to feel ashamed. I um, but ask. Don't be afraid to ask those what seem small and significant prayers because the Lord wants us to. It doesn't mean He's going to always answer them, but He wants us to to ask them. In verse twelve, we have this powerful verse. And it says, and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's this powerful prayer of not only forgiveness, but we could say within that, it's a prayer of confession. Because we, if we're asking for forgiveness from the Lord, there's probably things we need forgiveness for. So we're going to have to admit those things. There's an act of confession there. But there's forgiveness. And here's the thing. It's not just us receiving forgiveness from God. Jesus is pretty clear about that, that he also has us pray that we forgive others. Ouch. Now, the interesting thing, going back to this idea of the Amidah, the the Jewish standing prayer, is that there are some historically that have things about forgiveness in them. In fact, a lot of them have something about forgiveness from God to us in them. But very few, if any, mention anything about us forgiving others. This is something entirely unique to Jesus and what he was doing with his Amidah, the Lord's Prayer, that he was giving to his disciples. And if you don't believe me, What does verse 14 say? Read that with me. For if you forgive others for their transgression, your your heavenly Father will also forgive you. For but if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. It's like Jesus puts that extra verse on there because he knows adding that line in the Lord's prayer is going to throw them off a little bit, and so he's doubling down on it and saying, "Look, this whole bit about forgiveness and forgiving others is important to me, and it's important to God because it it makes a difference in who we are on the inside. We're not just people who need to seek forgiveness from God. 
It's we need to seek forgiveness from others and we also need to give forgiveness to others. Now, hopefully I'm not stepping on too many toes there, but if I am, I'll just say that Jesus is the one. No, I'm just kidding. He's actually the one who's doing it. Um, I think it's stepping on all of our toes because forgiveness is such a huge part and a lot of us live in unforgiveness. And Jesus wants us to be able to release that. And so when we pray, we have the opportunity to do that. I could keep going on about forgiveness all day, but that is another topic for another day. The point, though, is is that within verse 12 and within the Lord's Prayer, it's undeniable that part of the prayer life that Jesus is calling us into involves confession and forgiveness. That's something that Christians, we need to have as part of our daily prayer lives. Finally, this prayer ends in verse 13. And it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations put the evil one. You know, that depends on how they translate the Greek. Um, you know, I, I personally, I could go, I can go either way with that. But either way, for, deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. This is, for me, a powerful prayer of protection. We're praying that the Lord is protecting us, protecting us from temptation and protecting us from the evil one. And a lot of us, you know, we we don't necessarily include that in our lives all the time. We don't include that in our prayers, that we pray that the Lord, like, protects us from the evil that is out there in the world that we're going to encounter. Praying, we know that we, we the our battle is against not flesh and blood, but the rulers and authorities and principalities of the, the heavenly realms. But we often don't take time to pray against those things and pray for protection. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus encouraging us to pray prayers of protection. Pray not only that the Lord protects us, but pray against the evil and the evil one. Now, you're probably noticing that I didn't say much about for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and forever and ever. Amen. And if you notice in your in your Bibles, if you have those out, um, those are typically in Bibles there in brackets because that little section and in a lot of um, translations is it says the note says those are not in the earliest manuscripts that they found. So most likely what that means is the Lord's Prayer ends with the deliver us from evil portion. So we have a few different things that we see Jesus doing with the Lord's Prayer. We see some elements that he's showing us and he's showing his disciples when he's saying, all right, pray then like this. Pray, pray prayers that, that have acknowledgement. That adore the Father. Pray, pray prayers that have surrender and indifference. Pray prayers that have petitions. Pray prayers that have confession and forgiveness. 
And pray prayers of protection as you are in the world, but not of the world. Not only did Jesus' disciples have these as a template, so do we. To learn how to pray like Jesus, we should also add these types of prayer into our normal and everyday prayer routines. And notice that over time, how they're going to connect us more deeply to the Father. So with our remaining time, I kind of want to take a few minutes and highlight some takeaways from the Lord's Prayer that my hope is will help us avoid some of the pitfalls and insecurities that we have as 21st century Christians. And the reason I say that is because obviously more than any time in history, we are a distracted people. I mean, there's been books and books written about this recently, but we have such easy access to technology in our pockets. We have computers in our pockets. We have TVs in our pockets, right? We have a movie theater in our pockets. We have with us, probably a lot of us all the time, it really doesn't even that much matter, I feel like, age anymore. We all have things that are constantly taking our attention. And it's been, I think studies have shown that an average person's attention span is less and less and less and less and less. We always have to have some sort of audio audio or visual noise. And so why I say that is because when that matters when we sit down to pray, doesn't it? Because when I sit down and pray as a, you know, 30 plus year old man, 38 year old man who's grown up in this age of technology, I sit down, I'm locked in. 20 seconds, I'm praying, I'm feeling good. Oh, what about that? I forgot I got to do. Oh, oh, what squirrel, squirrel, right? Like anybody ever feel like that when you sit down and pray? Like, it's hard, right? It's hard and we're not trained for it. In fact, culture around us trains us for the opposite. It trains us how to not be able to sit still and to kind of quiet our minds and engage in the prayerful life. And so I want to kind of offer a few suggestions, maybe to help counteract that, based upon the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so the very first takeaway and suggestion I want to make is to pray simple prayers. Pray simple prayers. Um, This is something Chad did a great job focusing on last week. And so I want to reiterate it again this week. Pray simple prayers. Think about it like this. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, when he said, pray them like this, he didn't invent some long, complicated, brand new method of praying. 
He simply tweaked a common prayer that they were familiar with. In other words, Jesus was reminding them that they already knew how to pray. And for them to not make it more complicated unnecessarily. We like to do that, right? Does anyone like to complicate things unnecessarily? Okay, good. Yes, I see, I see those hands. Yeah, um, we all like to complicate things unnecessarily. Keep it simple. Pray simple prayers. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my professors, we were talking about prayer and just the devotional life. And they said two of the most powerful prayers a person can pray are thank you and help. Two of the most powerful prayers. What could be more simple than that? Pray simple prayers. Jesus didn't give them a new prayer system, prayer method. Jesus took something they knew and said, hey, just keep praying what you're praying, but maybe add this. Or maybe focus on this. Simple. Not complicated. God desires our hearts. Remember that. He desires our hearts. He desires relationship with us in prayer. And those things can be done very simply. Having our heart, having relationship can be done very simply. Okay, another takeaway and suggestion is to pray physically. You're like, what are you talking about? Pray physically. Okay. Remember the Hebrew translation of Amidah is standing prayer. Okay. Standing is a physical thing. The reason for standing in this prayer was to allow the body to be centered and focused on where and to whom one was praying. So doing physical things can help our minds stay more focused on what we are doing. Has anybody ever seen, like I've been to a conference one time, it was a workshop, and on every one of the tables, they had set out these little like jars of putty or like Play-Doh. Has anybody ever been to a situation where they've done that? Okay, they, they're starting to do that now more these days, okay? And the reason is, is they say that if you have something for your hands to be doing actively, it helps your mind stay more engaged. So something, doing something physical with our body sometimes can help our mind stay more centered and focused. And so that's what I want to suggest to us today. So maybe this means standing for you. When you pray, maybe this means walking, go for a walk like, ah, I don't know what my prayer time is. I maybe I should go into a quiet closet somewhere. You could do that, but maybe you go for a walk, find your secret place out in go out walking in your neighborhood or go to Audubon and go for a hike. You know, go for a walk or maybe you're doing something with your hands to keep you focused. Or, for some of us, maybe it's the physical act of speaking the prayer out loud. So sometimes, like, to help our minds stay focused, if we actually speak it, it helps us stay centered and focused. Or, maybe that's learning how to write our prayers out. Like, write them out in a journal. 
or if you're just like a true 21st century person and you're like, well, I only type. Well, then type it out, okay? Like, what, it, it, that doesn't matter, right? Like, write it, type it, just do something. Sometimes we can do something physically that helps us stay centered and focused. Because at the end of the day, learning to pray physical prayers can help us modern people learn how to pray more efficient, focused, and effective prayers. Lastly, lastly, the last takeaway and suggestion is that we need to learn to pray simple prayers that are structured. Structured. Some of you, when I say the word structure, you're like, you are speaking my language. Others of you are like, I am going to tune out the next five minutes of what you have to say, right? Um, because that's how some of us are wired and geared. Some of us, like, go towards structure. Some of us don't as much. But hear me out. Hear me out. So as the Lord's Prayer was based upon the Amidah, the Amidah, especially as it later developed, not too long after Jesus is a very structured prayer. I encourage you to go look that up. Look it up. You'll see it is a very structured 18, 19 sections. So it is built, the Lord's Prayer itself is built on a structured prayer, and it was prayed typically three times a day during Jesus' times. So there's structure, right, that's within that. And so structure isn't a bad thing. It can actually be a very good thing. That is why people have put together acronyms based upon some of the elements of the Lord's Prayer. And some of you might actually be familiar with some of these acronyms that provide a structure to help us think through when we pray. So, for example, the Acts Prayer Method. How many of you are familiar with this, the Acts Prayer Method? So I see a lot of your hands. So essentially the Acts Prayer Method is acknowledgement, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, or presenting our requests and things to the Lord. So, it's very simple. Very simple, easy, acts prayer. You know, this is a prayer method that I actually grew up with. My dad taught me, and I spent a lot of time just when I would go into a prayer time, I'd just be like, all right, all right. Acknowledgement or adoration, all right, I'm going to start doing some of that. Okay, I've acknowledged, I've adored, now I'm going to go to ooh, confession. I don't like that as much, but i got to do it. Okay, um, then I go to Thanksgiving, and then I do my prayer request. It helps me just to stay a little bit more focused and honed in on my prayer time, making sure that it's, once again, effective and efficient and powerful. But there's also, as you see, uh, a friend of mine, Greg Pruitt, he wrote a book um, called Extreme Prayer, and he's kind of tweaked acts and has it as active, and that's acknowledgement or adoration, confession, thanksgiving, intercession, V is vanquish the enemy, and so you're like, what is that? That sounds crazy, but all that really is is the prayer of protection. We're just praying against the evil one and praying for protection against the English, 
evil one. It was just when you're making an acronym, the best way of doing that, right? Well, we need something for V. What can we do? Vanquish the enemy. There we go, right? So V, vanquish the enemy. It's a prayer of protection. And then finally, the E stands for um, extreme prayers or extraordinary prayers, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you guys refer to it, would refer to it as here. But we, like on campus, we call them extreme prayers. And what those basically are, are these big requests that are only going to be answered if God shows up. Like we pray for, by the end of 2022, we pray that a hundred students surrender their lives and are baptized and follow Jesus for the first time. Like that would be huge for us. Like that would be huge for us. That would be a huge prayer that we would be thankful if the Lord answered. And we would know if a hundred people from UE surrendered their life to Jesus in 2022, we would know that's not something I did. I am not that smart. I am not that charismatic of a leader. Like that's the Lord. So that's kind of what those are for extreme prayers or extraordinary prayers is recognizing that there are certain prayers that we pray that are so big, such big asks. And Jesus tells us to ask those kinds of prayer. Whatever you ask for in my name, my Father will give to you. Jesus says that several times in Scripture. So it's okay to ask those huge prayers as well. So it is okay to pray and have structure when we pray. And it really doesn't matter what structure that you use to pray or what method you use to pray, whether you use acts or whether you use active or whether you just look at some of the things that we saw in the Lord's Prayer and just do those things in order. It doesn't really matter. The real point is that we pray, that we be a praying people. The real point of learning how to pray is that we actually pray. It's not so we have more knowledge about prayer. It's that we pray. Church, we have to become a praying people. Have to. If we are going to change the world, we simply can't do it. God's going to have to do it. And if God's going to do it, we need to be praying. Let me me conclude by returning to my opening story. So, in Arizona, in that congregation, I I ended up putting together a 24-hour prayer vigil, right? And it had seven stations, acknowledgement, confession, petition, intercession, protection, thanksgiving, and then my last station was listening, which we don't have time to talk about today, but is an incredible hugely integral part of the Christian life and prayer life, listening. But those seven stations, we had about 18 people signed up, had no idea what to expect. No idea. But as people came that day and started praying, I started noticing something. People were praying longer than an hour And when they went in, they thought there was no way they could pray for an hour. 
I started noticing something else. People were coming out weeping. In fact, it was to the point where I had to start putting tissue boxes at each prayer station. And I was like, what is happening? Am I like harming people, making people cry? Like, what's the deal? But what I began to realize just after talking and debriefing with people is that they either had never encountered the beauty of God in prayer or they hadn't done it in so long that it just moved their heart. It was powerful to see. So the next time we did it, we went from like 18 to over 30. And then the next time we did it, we went from like 30 to like 50. And the next time we did it, it increased over 70 to 80 people signing up. There was power and there was a contagious effect that when people started connecting prayer to how they live their life and they started learning how to do it, it started changing the culture of prayer within our church community. And all of that, or a lot of that, was simply based, the teaching, the stations, were the Lord's Prayer, were pieces of the Lord's Prayer. They learned to pray prayers that were simple, that were structured, and that at times were physical. And that prayer that prayer time and they incorporated in their life began to change to change them. My hope for us and my hope for you all is that you leave here today and you get started on the prayer life. That Jesus' words, pray then like this, be words that you fully understand and that you fully invest your time in your heart and